So it's financial planning is doing the stuff you need to do along the way. Estate planning, college planning, wedding planning, and of course, the big one, retirement planning. Money is important, but it's not the end all. You need to be able to enjoy your life. You need to have a balance. Hello, everyone. Thanks for joining us on the 52 Weeks of Me podcast. I'm Jacqueline Osborne. And I'm Erica Brooks. This podcast is a platform for men and women to share their challenges and lessons they face throughout their journey toward achieving greater life balance through the four pillars of health and, of course, prioritizing the number one asset, you. Amazing. Let's get started. So we were just saying, not sure how to introduce this one. We've got Beth Blecker joining us today, but you might have multiple names because Beth is actually my mother. So hello, mom. Welcome. We're so happy to have you. To help get us started, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? So hi, I'm Beth Blecker. I am CEO of Eastern Planning, which is a company that I started almost 30 years ago with my now ex-husband, and it's a, a business that I'm very proud of. So you haven't always been a financial planner. So what did you do prior to starting the business? When I graduated college, I was told that I should be a teacher because a teacher gets married, has children, and then they have vacations when their children have vacations. So I went to college to become a teacher. I was the first person in my family to ever go to college. I got my teaching degree and lo and behold, there was no jobs. So I spent a year substitute teaching. And while I was substitute teaching, I went to take some courses and I became a an accountant. And I worked as an accountant first on my own as a corporate accountant. And then I went into business with my now ex-husband, and was an accountant with him. So let's talk a little bit about why financial planning. You said most women, especially in your generation, did teaching, but definitely did not do accounting. Even today, the number of women financial planners is very low. So why financial planning for you? So I just came back from a broker-dealer conference, and we were told that our broker-dealer, which is a quite a large group, has a very high percentage of women financial advisors. Now I'm going to give you a little test. Can you guess the percentage that that might be? 15. You're good. 19%. The average amount of women financial planners in industry is 17%. And it's gone up from 14% in the last two years. So why did I become a financial advisor? I became an accountant just because I couldn't get a job as a teacher and it seemed a good thing to do. And then as an accountant, we decided working with our clients past wasn't really helping them. And when we sent them off to do things with insurance agents or investment people, they really weren't getting the kind of advice we wanted them to have. So we decided that we were going to do financial planning inside the accounting practice. And what we did was we charged a fee for a financial plan. And the financial plan was this little book. And we made it so pretty with a hard cover. It was this beautiful book. And they paid us a fee for this book. And we went from A to Z of all the things that they should do to ensure their financial future. It included saving into a 401k, how much, 
It included buying insurance if insurance was necessary, how much. And then we'd send them off and we'd have them come back a year later and we'd look at what they did. Over 50% of them did nothing. Nothing. They just procrastinated. And then the others that did something did stuff that we looked at and said, well, I don't understand this. So if we sent a young couple off to buy a million dollars of term life insurance for 20 years because they had three children, five, three, a newborn. Back then, a million dollars was a lot, and it was inexpensive. And they come back and they said, my insurance agent told us, why buy a term insurance policy when we can buy a permanent policy and we wouldn't be spending money every year for nothing? But a permanent insurance would cost for $20,000, the same as a million-dollar term policy. So they'd be buying a $100,000 whole life policy instead of a million-dollar term. If the husband died with $100,000, that's not going to last a wife and three children very long. So at that point in time, we realized the plan was nothing, and we had to actually do. And that's when Eastern Planning was born. When you talk about people not taking action that you kind of prescribed for them, like you basically wrote this plan out, you said, go take these three steps or have many steps that were, and people weren't doing anything. Why? Why not? Life happens. Was it just life? Yes. Yes. Indecision happens. Jacqueline, would you have gone out and bought an insurance policy if somebody didn't hand you the papers? I'm pretty sure we don't have to ask Jacqueline. We probably ask any of our listeners. If you don't have someone helping and following up and refollowing up, not only do you not take the first step, but do you then do all the research and make the decision and then do the maintenance? There's a lot of work to it. Yeah. How many people have a 401k and they put their money in every month, gets taken out, and they don't even have the slightest idea what it's invested in? They never looked. It was just picked sometime when they first set up, and then they've never readjusted it. I had one case where a couple came in. They were in their 40s. This is typical, and I'm not going to use man and woman because today it doesn't really matter. So the lower-earning spouse had a 403B, and the higher-earning spouse had a 401K. But the higher-earning spouse's money was the money that was used to live. And the lower earning spouse was the money that was used to save. So they set up her 403B. They put their maximum contribution into the 403B and nothing into the other spouse's 401K. And I looked at the 403B. The 403B doesn't match. The 401K does. So they were losing the 6% match. They lost it because they were putting it all in the 403B. Without ever thinking, nobody said to them, the first thing we did was switch to put 6% in his, lower hers, but now they got double the 6%. Here's a good segue into a next question, because I realize we, and probably because I've grown up with Eastern planning as the daughter. So to me, this might be so commonplace, but what is financial planning? So there's a lot of different answers to what is financial planning. So I'm going to tell you what I've decided financial planning is. Financial planning isn't a software program that you put the answers in and it prints out this whole book, all this paper, and you put it together and say, here's your financial plan. I don't believe in that. Financial planning to me is making sure 
that the things you need along the way are done. An example, estate planning. When I have clients come in to my office and I'll look at their will, and now these people are 60, 65, and their will was made when they still had to have guardians for their children. Their life has changed. This is not an up-to-date will. So I asked them, do they have a healthcare proxy? A healthcare proxy is so important. So you need to have healthcare proxies for yourself. You need to have healthcare proxies for your parents. And once your child turns 18, you need to have a healthcare proxy for your child. When they go off to college, if you don't have a healthcare proxy, the hospital's not going to call you when they're in the hospital because they drank too much. They're not going to call you. But if you're their healthcare proxy, you can get the information. The other thing you need to have is a power of attorney. So it's financial planning is doing the stuff you need to do along the way. Estate planning, college planning, wedding planning, and of course, the big one, retirement planning. But sometimes it's saving for a house, having an emergency fund, all these things along the way, and they change. So you just wrote a book. I was just earlier holding up a copy, not money, it's your life. You introduce a concept about life planning versus financial planning. Thought that would be a good place to start. What is the difference? So many financial advisors get paid by the amount of money that they manage, as do I. So my goal might be to manage more and more and more money because then I'll get paid more and more and more money. But I'm also a fiduciary, so I need to worry about my client. And you need to save enough money. If you don't have enough money, you really may not be able to have the kind of life you're planning on having. So if anybody says, no, nah, money is not important, <laughs> money is important, but it's not the end all. You need to be able to enjoy your life. You need to have a balance. You can't just say, okay, now I'm making money and I have to save all this money. And so I'm not going to do anything until the day I retire. I'm going to save, 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 save. I can't go on any trips. I can't buy any new things. I can't do anything. And I keep saving and then I'll be able to retire. And now maybe I can retire at 50 instead of at 60. What about your life until you're 50? You need to have some life. You can't just put up your life till the end of the rainbow. God forbid something happens to you and you don't get to that end of the rainbow, right? The goal is balance. It's setting up a plan, knowing how you can save, and knowing that if you have something special happening, you can do it. You can buy it. But you don't disrail your whole retirement just to live this enjoyable life. Again, balance. The same thing happens in retirement. One of the biggest problems my clients have in retirement is that they're savers and they've always saved and they've always seen their money grow. Well, maybe not always. There are times <laughs> when your money falls, <laughs> but then it grows again. So they like the saving. They like looking at their, their account value and they like it going up. But now you're retired. And the whole reason you got this big pile of money was to use it in retirement. If you don't have a pension, which a lot of people don't have pensions anymore, then you need to live on this pile of money. And the biggest problem savers have is spending money they've saved. And so part of what I have to do is tell people what they can spend. Because the biggest fear in retirement, no matter how rich you are, is running out of money. I don't want to have more life than money. I never want to move in with my children. I hear that all the time. I don't mind, Jacqueline. You can keep me a room. I, I can give my children as much as I can, 
but don't tell me at the other end that they're going to have to support me. They fear spending their money. So I feel my job is to help them spend their money, to enjoy their life. That's what they work so hard for, but not too much because you have to keep them with enough money so that they never run out of money. That's the goal. I think it's interesting, you know, I'm listening to you kind of talk about different things and different ways to achieve this balance. I'm thinking about a lot of my friends and we all have different roles that we play in our relationships, in our households, even in our jobs when it comes to money. You know, some are more active than others. Some are more knowledgeable than others. Some are like running their own little, you know, side experiment to see what happens if they invest in Bitcoin or whatever else it may be. You know, they're just kind of playing and learning, right? But if you are, you know, getting started and you're realizing that maybe you haven't been paying enough attention to retirement or investments or the management of your money, where do you look first? Where What's the first step in kind of getting healthy again when it comes to finances? One of the things is debt. There's good debt and there's bad debt. And we all know what bad debt is, credit cards. Credit cards can kill you because their interest rate is so hard. So one of the first things you have to do is get rid of credit card debt. There's a couple of ways of doing it. When my younger clients come into me and if they have credit card debt, the first thing we have to do is we have to get a credit card that has no debt on it, zero balance. Because credit cards trick you. If you have a credit card that has a balance on it and then you charge again, the day you charge is the day you start paying interest. So you think you have 30 days to pay. You do if you have a zero balance credit card. No interest. You pay it off after 30 days. You go out because there's a sale. I have to buy this now because it's on sale. But your credit card is charging you 21% interest from the day you bought it. You just lost your sale. Why did you buy it? So you have to have a credit card that you always pay it off. That's why I'm a big believer in American Express, the one that doesn't let you hold the balance. You get a a card, you only charge on it what you know you can afford to pay, and you pay it, and then you gradually pay off the other card. Now, hopefully, you have good enough credit that you can get a 0%, and you set up a time I have 18 months, 0%, and I have this much I owe. This is how much money I'm going to pay a month. Credit card debt kills you. So the first thing anyone has to do is get rid of credit card debt. Other debt, not necessarily so bad, but you have to look at the interest rate. High interest rate's bad, low interest rate's good. Then, depending on what you earn, the next thing you want to do is see if you have a 401k that matches. You always want to put money in a 401k that matches. But if you're earning under the amount you need for a Roth IRA, match to your 401k and save into a Roth IRA. A Roth IRA is the best thing that they ever invented. Why? Because you're saving money after tax, low money. It's growing, tax deferred. And as long as you follow the rules of the Roth, which aren't very hard, You have to have it in for five years and you have to be over 59 and a half when you take it out. It's tax free. So you're paying tax on a tree and you're taking it out as a forest. It's the best thing. A lot of companies have started Roth 401ks. They're great too. Why do you think that maybe you shouldn't use a Roth? If you need an income tax deduction, really bad because you're in really high tax bracket, then you might want to consider 
half in the Roth 401k, half in the traditional 401k, half will be deductible, half won't, half will come out tax-free, half you'll pay tax on it when you take it out. So I want to go back. You said something earlier about those, the over savers versus the overspenders. And you just mentioned some really great strategies for saving and accumulating wealth. Let's turn that the other way. What are some suggestions you have to not oversave and encourage those that have and are accumulating wealth to start to spend the money in a smart way? First thing is you really do need an advisor for that. Because you really do need to have the concept of the goal. So I could tell everybody that they need a, a million dollars, seven million dollars, two million. I could tell them what they need. But you see, it depends on how you live. If you live and your lifestyle is on $100,000 a year, then when you retire, you really need about $100,000 a year. Which a lot of people say when you retire, you need less money to live. You don't have a job. There's seven days a week. What are you going to do with seven days a week? You need to spend money. (laughs) You need to go on trips. And then people say, you don't have children anymore, so you don't need to spend money on them. Take it from me. I'm a grandparent. The best thing in life is spending money on your grandchildren. Maybe I don't have to, thank God, because I have children that can afford their children, but I want to. I enjoy it. So if you're living on $100,000 and you retire, The only thing you're not going to do anymore is save money. So if you were saving $20,000 a year on that $100,000, then you're living on $80,000. But I'm going to tell you, put that $20,000 back in and make that a travel budget, an enjoyment budget. So my goal is to keep people at the same level of when they were living. How it works is if you're spending $100,000 a year and you saved a million dollars, You can spend 5% of a million dollars, $50,000. So if you need, and a lot of people your age don't believe Social Security will be there. I do, but Social Security is only a little help. It's not your retirement. So let's say you have a million dollars. Now you're going to spend $50,000 a year. If you spend more than that, you're going to spend down your principal because over time, Your investments can realistically and not being too aggressive make seven to eight percent annualized. But if you're spending fifty thousand dollars a year this year, and this year may not even be a good example because inflation is going to be over five percent, but next year you have to spend more because of inflation. So if you're taking fifty thousand dollars out and your account's not growing at all, you're not going to have any room for inflation. So it's 5% of your dollar amount. So you have to do the math. And then you have to figure out, well, how is it going to grow? And what's it going to be? So you really need some tools to do that. But the goal is that you're going to spend equal to what you're spending now. And you're going to have to put in for inflation. So it's hard. You know, I'm, I'm thinking about financial planning and retirement. And I'm trying to think about what would be the blocker for people to seek help with their money. What's too little money? It's a big problem. Unfortunately, most financial advisors get paid by investments, annuities, insurance, products, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So the answer really is, if you're working with somebody who's taking small accounts, 
what are they doing? Are they selling you something to make bigger monies? So it's hard for somebody with a smaller account. In that case, typically, I say, if they have a plan at work, the plan at work is the best option because you can put any amount of money in your plan at work and they're going to help you. So that's the best option. I handle all my clients' children and grandchildren and they can have any amount of money because we consider family money. So maybe your parents have a good financial advisor and you might consider asking them to help you. You need to do your research. Let's face it, today with internet, it's so easy to do your research. You have to make sure that the advisor is not selling product. You have to make sure the advisor is not trying to get a lot of commissions. And you have to see what the products are and see if they're right for you. And it's not just the product that they sell. Piggybacking off of Erica's question, one of the areas that I can only assume, and I suspect I probably have this with some experience, but it's not just we don't have enough money, but another one, especially for females, is, oh, my husband manages that. I think it's worth asking the question and, you know, depending where you go with this, you know, a little bit of your own personal experience. You've talked about ex-husband a few times. What do you say to those, oh, my husband's got this? It's not just my husband's got it. There's a financial person in each marriage. And sometimes it's the woman. It's not necessarily the husband. There's a financial partner and somebody who doesn't care at all about money. Sometimes neither one really care, but there's usually one that steps up for finances. I have to meet with both spouses. If both spouses don't come in, they're not my client. And especially when it's the woman, because it is the woman that says, well, my husband handles it, my husband handles it, my husband handles it. And I will say to them, but what if your husband's not here? What are you going to do? Just listen. You don't have to handle anything. Just get an understanding. Just be involved. Let him handle it. But no, understand. And that's true with both parties. It's important for both parties to know. And once they're sitting at the table, you'd be surprised how much the non-financial person gets involved. Maybe not in the actual investment decisions, but in all the goals in all the goals and risk tolerance. And this is a man-woman thing. Men are much more aggressive saving than women. Women are like, well, what if I lose it? My children, men are like, yeah, let's go. We'll put it all on the, on, on this one because it should do really well. So understanding the risk tolerance between the two of them and making them understand each other's risk tolerance and give a little to each one is also crucial. You know, I was chuckling when you asked that because I actually use the my husband handles the finances excuse with every telemarketer that ever calls me. It is not true. But whenever anyone's like, hey, I'm selling something, I'm like, great, you'll have to call back and talk to my husband because he handles the finances. But one of the things I think is really interesting is that even women that say that, 
they're missing a big point of their responsibility, which is that most women in the household, again, this is totally gender norms, we make the buying decisions. We're the one choosing the grocery brands we buy, where we shop, what clothes the kids are wearing. Generally speaking, those decisions fall on the women. And just like when we spoke with Eve and the fair play, that invisible work falling on women mean that we are the ones that are spending, whether or not we're acknowledging it. We're making those decisions every day about, am I buying the generic brand of Tylenol or am I buying Tylenol, Tylenol? And, you know, those sort of things that they come into play, they're all, at the end of the day, decisions about money. But women second guess themselves. But when I'm doing workshops and I was doing couples workshops or men and women workshops, it's amazing how many men ask the questions and how many women just sit there. And I decided that I needed to do women only workshops. A lot of times they just think that they have stupid questions. Oh, everybody's going to think I don't understand. And they use the word stupid questions. There are no stupid questions. A question that you're thinking of, I can guarantee there's at least one other person that wants to get the answer to that question. A lot of women will second guess themselves. And a lot of men, and this is really a gender issue, but it's true. A lot of men in finance will not. And so it's very, very important to have both parties at the table and let both parties speak. So I hate to do it. And again, it just shows how fun these conversations are. But we are just about out of time. So I'm going to take us to our wrap up. If you can recommend one book or one piece of advice, what would it be? So I want to say the one book is probably my book. It's not just money, it's your life. But no, it's really one piece of advice. It's never too early to start saving. And it's never too late. If you're not saving now, Go to your company and get enrolled in that plan. Go to Vanguard and get a Roth IRA. Vanguard's a no-load, no-fee, mutual fund company. Just get investing. And personally, I think it's a good job if you, if you get some help. How can people find you and get some information about financial planning, including your book? I have a website, and the website is easternplanning.com, and we have a lot of information I'm on LinkedIn, both Beth Blecker and Eastern Planning. If you connect to me on LinkedIn, I'm always, always sending out information. Sometimes it's on Halloween cookies, but I'm always sending out information. Excellent. Well, thank you again so much. We've been talking about doing this probably since the, before the podcast even existed. So it's great to have you, Erica, shaking her head because we have. But seriously, truly, it was so great. It was so great to have you. And hopefully the guests will take advantage of your website and take a look into your book. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. 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 Thank you all for joining us today. We hope you enjoyed listening to us as much as we enjoy participating in the conversation. Now your homework is to be sure to like, subscribe, and let us know what you thought about today's discussion. And of course, find us online, 52weeksofme.net with the number five and the number two, and at Instagram at 52weeksofme spelled out. Again, we love emails, so email us at 52weeksofme spelled out at gmail.com. We look forward to hearing from you all soon. Bye! Bye.